Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. For today's episode, we'll be hearing from lit world extraordinaire Tobias Carroll. Tobias, or Toby as some call him, is the author of several books, his latest one being Ex-Members, a novel about punk scenes, old secrets, and hometowns that stalk us and break our hearts despite our best efforts to escape. You also might know him as the managing editor of Volume 1 Brooklyn, a site that features short and long content that bridges the gap between various forms of culture and art. I highly recommend checking it out. All that aside, today we talk about ex-members, weird instruments that we play, Sleater Kinney, and for some reason, cats. But before the show, I'd like to share that Textual Healing is now offering merch. Please check out our swag, and even better, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts after the show. For now, though, please enjoy this fun and off-kilter episode with Tobias. Okay, so sorry for taking, I don't know, 10 minutes more. I just got like a shit ton of like messages right before I connected, so. I, I was actually running about five minutes late, so so this is no problem at all. Oh, wow, that's serendipity. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right, so do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Tobias Carroll. I am the author of four books. Most recently, X Members, uh, released June 15th on Astrophil Press. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the managing editor of Volume 1 Brooklyn, and I write a monthly column about translated literature for Words Without Borders. That is really cool. Can yeah. you tell us what X Members is about? Sure. X Members is a novel set in a small town in northwestern New Jersey. And it follows several generations of characters over the course of several decades, but largely focuses on three people who come of age there in the 90s in a sort of burgeoning punk and hardcore scene, and the vastly different paths their lives take uh, as they grow older. But there are also some moments that go that deal with their parents' generation and the very peculiar way in which this town's uh, culture and economy have become very stagnant um, due to uh, a failed attempt to uh, connect a railroad line there. So I've read some of your previous stuff, and obviously I've been a pretty big fan of Volume 1 Brooklyn. What exactly drew you to this kind of novel? So the previous novel I wrote, Real, was a book that... Well, actually, if I can if I can jump back just a second and say more more broadly, I think everything that I at least when it comes to fiction, and at least when it comes to long form fiction, everything that I write ends up feeling like a little bit of a response to the previous thing that I wrote. So, when I wrote Real, part of the way in which I wrote it was because I was frustrated with the novel that I'd finished previously, which is a book that. Will, that currently lives in my drawer and will probably not ever see publication. Uh, and there were things about that that frustrated me. And so when I wrote Real, I was trying to write in a very different... tried to take a very different method. So I was writing without any kind of an outline and just trying to see where the plot went, and it felt very improvisational. 
When you and say I, like improv, was, do you like just kind of like free write, like say like on your notes app on your iPhone? I'm predicting you have an iPhone. I don't know, but yeah. I'm actually I'm actually an Android user. Um, oh but god! This, but real real was more. It was more of just. I had I'd written an interview, I think it ran in The Believer, with Javier Marias, where he said that his his method of writing is generally just, at least for his first draft, is just is very intuitive, and it's just seeing where uh, where the the book takes him, and then that kind of gives him the groundwork, and, you know, it's kind of like if he decides, you know, one character is married, then that's something that he feels is kind of etched in stone. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm going to try doing that for real and just kind of... I had sort of the basic beginning of that and I but I also was really a little bit not scared but I was a little averse to kind of to trying to have too much of a better sense of of where this was going to go structurally um but one of the one of the side effects of that was that real is a very compressed book I mean the bulk of the action takes place over the course of a few months and while I was very while I was very happy with with how that worked out, I also had been thinking back to a couple of the short stories that are in my collection. Transitory feature characters over the course of of you know many years or, or even decades, and and a lot of the fiction that I like, you know, there there are a lot of novels that I like that also trace characters over the course of decades and sort of, and there are things that you can do with that that you can't necessarily do with a more with a more sort of hyper-focused approach. So I I knew I wanted to deal a little bit more with, you know, what, what is it like to follow a character from, you know, their childhood through their 30s, or, you know, follow a character from, you know, their 30s into their 50s or 60s. And so X-Members grew out of that a little bit, um, and it grew out of wanting to try something with a little bit less of a linear structure, um... I would say Ali Smith's fiction was a big influence on this. Uh, that was something I was reading. A friend introduced me to to Smith's work at, at around the time that I was working on a lot of the, the components of this. Uh, and, uh, and that kind of also led me to wanting to try to do something that was a little bit more a little bit more fragmented and a little bit more collage-like and less, you know, this is going to follow, you know, these, this character or these characters, you know, linearly across uh, a certain amount of years. And also, I just love the way the book is formatted. It's formatted into so many different parts, and then you sometimes break into, like, interviews and then yeah. discussions of the albums, and I really find that fascinating. How did you Thank get you. that idea? Or was that just one of the fun <laughs> things that popped in? <laughs> I don't necessarily know that it popped in. I mean, I, I, I feel like I... Sh- I have a lot of have a lot of notebooks that were used to generate this book. I think some of it was wanting to try to deal a little bit with uh, different methods of storytelling, and and some of it. I mean, parts of this book were written in certain ways because I wanted to kind of test myself. I mean, for instance, there's a there's a long section in X Members that's done as an oral history of. Uh, a fictional hardcore band called the Alphanumeric Murders, who who loom pretty large in the narrative, and part of that was just like, especially it's this this book has been many years in the works, so especially at the time that I was first thinking about it, it was sort of during the heyday of the the oral where there a lot of music writing features were done as oral histories, and I began to wonder like, 
what would it be like if, you know, if, if I wrote a short story or a part of a novel as, you know, an oral history of a fictional band? And so it was trying to do that, do something that satisfied the, uh, the, the, the sort of condensed history of the band, but also there are aspects of that that also tie into larger aspects of the book. Uh, I mean, I, I think also the second part of uh, Roberto Bolaño's The Savage Detectives was also something of, a, of, of an influence there. Shout and, out to that book. Love it. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, also, it's also kind of, uh, well, it's not, it's not funny, but when I, when I first began... It does have some like, fun moments, though. So. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's a book that, or that, that section, I had also, before I started writing this, I was kind of like, I, I don't think anybody else has done this. And in, in the time since then, I have now encountered two other novels that have also made use, at least in part of an oral history structure. Uh, but that also doesn't surprise me because the, the writers are also people who have kind of one foot in the fiction world and one foot in the music writing world. And so, uh. And so, yeah, that was that was kind of like, oh yeah, no, that that makes sense. That like this this would be something that like if if you're if you're wired in a certain way, you're going to be like, I wonder if I could do that. And and I've read the other two books, and it's it's a very different use of the device. So I was also like, oh thank God, like this is not, I I am not just like the the Johnny Come Lately on <laughs> uh, on this. Do you all let us know what those books are? Or are you trying to like stamp out the competition? No, no, not at all. Um, I, actually, let me. I've, I'm on my laptop right now, so I want to make sure uh, I get the titles right. Um, and if you could hear me, if you could hear me typing, that's uh, that's 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 me doing this. Um, oh, I could hear you. You're like a thunderous typer. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine, like, this book took a beating. Wow. <laughs> Man, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because I have, I, have a very, I have a very bizarre typing style, and I remember, like, when I was in middle school, sort of elementary and middle school, we would kind of have, like, the, the various, you know, learn to type, and I would just, and I would kind of get this, like, you're kind of a two-finger typist, but you're really fast with that. And it's like, yeah, I, I just... We need to I get just you a typewriter. <laughs> you know, like one of those like Underwood ones that you could only do with two fingers. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, hang on, just I just wanna. I want to. This is. I'm just gonna uh, laugh every time you type. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It feels very. It feels slightly, slightly, slightly uh, silly, but uh, you know. Hang on. While you look for those books, I mean, I really like that you actually pointed out the whole like. Remember, like when we were kids, we had to like learn how to type in the WPMs. What age were you? <laughs> I think it was like middle, probably middle school and high school, probably middle school. Um, I feel like maybe like fifth through like seventh grade, okay. but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So, oh, so the two books, um, two books, uh, David Keenan's This is Memorial Device, uh, and 
I believe, and I'm also blanking uh, on which one it is, but uh, Michael T. Fournier, I believe, has also used uh, some, some some aspects of oral histories in, in one of his novels. And it again, it kind of makes sense because it's like well, both of those both of those guys have a background in music writing, and uh, and, and their books are really good too. So you know, again, it's I I was. I was happy to see. I was. I was a little bit like, "Oh man, I wasn't the first to do it." But I was just like, "Okay, good. I'm not. I think I'm doing something. I think each of us are doing something very different with this." And it and it makes sense that like that would be. I, I keep thinking of the uh, what's the book? The exercises in style that like you know in in the sort of in in the 21st century that sort of a, a full oral history is now you know you could tell a story. In, in that in that method, using that method uh, in a way that might have seemed unthinkable, you know, twenty or thirty years ago. So when it comes to X members, one I adore the band name Alpha Numeric Murders. Yes. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, I think it was just something. Because I'd love to I see think... a band that's called that. <laughs> Every once in a while, just like a phrase will pop into my head, and I will think that would that would be a cool band name. And I think just I think with the often numeric murders, it was it was something like I I end up getting I will periodically just have a lot of like random like that would be a good title for X. Uh, that would be you know a, a thing you know that would be a cool you know bit of phrasing I could use for something. And I think the often numeric murders came into that. And then at some point, I was like, you know, it would be be pretty rough. Then you know I could I could easily see like that as 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 a band and like that as a band as like a '90s as a, like a weird '90s hardcore band. So it's so funny because like a name like that makes me think of like say Polyphonic Spree. It's very different sounds, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're really yeah, into hardcore bands? I I grew I mean well I grew up going to a lot of a lot of a lot of hardcore shows. Uh, wasn't the the first live music I saw was not was not a hardcore was not a hardcore show. It was a Duran Duran with Terrence Trent Derby opening. But uh, a good number of the shows that I you know started going to uh, when I was when I was in high school and and on beyond that have uh, you know were, were definitely were were hardcore shows. And you know it's where a lot of met a lot of people who are still friends of mine. And it's where you know I felt a really sort of gut-level emotional connection to the music. And so, you know, that that was all very, that was all very, very resonant for me. I could vibe that you kind of, like, maybe were, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. Um, sorry, my mind blanked. I feel like you definitely were more of a witness to more of, like, the do-it-yourself style music because I <laughs> think you definitely captured the behind-the-scenes so well. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's interesting to me because a lot... It's not necessarily a lot of what I liked about it, but I, I can definitely remember the informality of a lot of it. Where like I remember, this was probably in, in like the mid to late nineties. There was a Canadian band <clears throat> called Two Line Filler that, that was sort of on doing this impromptu this tour of North America, and there was this stretch of a week where they just ended up on random shows in on bills in New Jersey because they had kind of showed up in New Jersey and they were like. Hey, you know, by the way, we're on tour from, you know, from Western Canada, and if you can, you know, put us on a bill, that would be great. And just, there was like this, 
one week in the summer where I went to like three shows in a row and this band was on was on all three and and I and that was always kind of neat to me and I I also understand you know there I also had friends in bands who would have shows that just like completely fell through or venues that fell through or whatever else and I realized that there you know was probably a need for a bit more professionalization at a certain point. And that's, pro- you know, I think that's probably better for most people involved. But there is still something, you know, to be, there is something kind of kind of magical about the spontaneity of just like, oh yeah, this, this thing is just going to happen. And, and, it, and it would. Did you ever want to get more involved in the music scene? I mean, I ran a zine for many years and a friend and I ran a label for a couple of years uh I am not a good musician I did buy a bass once and I was like maybe I'll learn to play the bass and I did not learn to play the bass don't you love those Uh, spontaneous purchases (laughs) (laughs) I have like a theremin and a kalimba I have no idea what the hell I'm ever going to do with that shit Yeah, I, I also for I have had the bass for a while, and I had a fiddle for a while because my my roommate at the time I was like just on eBay. It was like <laughs> it was I'm like trying to imagine what band you're going to make with a fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was listening to a I was listening to a lot of like not early, but like when the Mekons first got into like kind of starting to listen listening to country records, and I was just like, oh yeah, that would be rad. And then <laughs> and then I was like, and then I got this like. I bought like this incredibly cheap fiddle on eBay, and then at some point I was like, "I cannot practice this in my apartment. Like my neighbors will all murder me." Uh, because if they were listening to like you know thirty minutes of just out of tune violin scratching, you know, on a regular basis, it's like, yeah, no, I do not want that. Uh, you know, I would not want to hear that, and I cannot imagine anyone else in the building would either. And so I just kind of sat around, and then eventually a friend of mine who teaches at a at a high school in Brooklyn was like, you know. If you have instruments you're not, you know, you're not using, I, I do, like, an after-school program where, like, you know, kids in the high school play music. And I was like, I, I, might, I might have some stuff for you there. <laughs> hey, I live um, in an apartment so. building, too, and there's someone on this floor who has a drum set. So if I oh, could no. deal with that, then they could deal with your <laughs> fiddle. <laughs> oh, man. Just yeah, jamming was... away. <laughs> What's worse it's, is yeah, I have very... tattoos, so everybody assumes it's me. Oh, no. I know. Oh, no. Even, like, the cleaning lady, she's like, so are you doing practice again today? And I'm just like, I- I- I'm the writer on the floor. I'm quiet. <laughs> I swear oh, to man. God, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's it's funny. The, the bar that I spend a lot of time at, because I, I watch a lot of soccer there, and I'm in a... In a pub, I'm on a pub quiz team there. They have practice spaces below, and so it's it's sometimes you'll get that like you'll hear that sound of music just like rising up from below. And, and I have to say though, in that context, I always I'm just like, oh, it's it feels kind of like home. <laughs> so, what kind of setup do you live in now? Like apartment or house? Can you do I'm a garage in, band? Oh man, that would be great. Now I'm I'm in I'm in an apartment, although I'm actually. Uh, right now, I'm actually at my parents' place in Jersey because I, I came out here for Mother's Day and I stuck around to get some work done. And uh, and also, they have beagles, so I'm getting some quality time with the with some very sleepy beagles. 
Oh, I would totally get in on that with you. I wouldn't even go for Mother's Day. That would just be like a, the guys to go see the Beagles. <laughs> it's 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 pretty sweet. Uh, I gotta say, they're 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 pretty adorable. My sister used to have Beagles, and for those years, she was my favorite sister. <laughs> Once those beagles went, though, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know you anymore." <laughs> oh man, yeah. There, there have been kind of many generations of beagles over the years. Uh, the two that my folks have now are both particularly uh, friendly and also uh, and also very, very personable. And uh, I got a I got a face lick the other day, which was which was pretty great. See, that's um, adorable. Do they do the howling? Uh. They don't really howl. There have been other other generations of beagles that were a little bit more howlers. They definitely bark, and the younger of the two will just sometimes spontaneously like just start barking at you. In like they both bark if there's like you know a FedEx truck going past or something, or like another dog walking around the neighborhood. But like one of them will also just like if if he really really wants attention, he'll just like stand there and like start barking, and it's it's just absurdly cute uh, it's so rude that it discriminates against FedEx does it prefer Amazon I you know it's it's pretty much all of the all of the delivery drivers but it's some of them I, I spent a lot of time out here during during the pandemic uh, during the sort of heyday of the pandemic and uh, the heyday of the pandemic is a strange word uh, but oh we've but all been keep, using keep it these going days. Uh, so some sometimes sometimes drivers will just leave something like by the garage, but some of like usually like the Amazon drivers will drop stuff off by the front door, uh, which actually has led to one particularly hilarious thing where I've I've gotten a few emails from my mom because when the Amazon delivery guy comes, he will usually take a photo and be like, "Here's where I left the the you know the package," and there are times where <laughs> you can see a dog, you know on the other side of the door, just like, you know, in full-on barking, in full-on barking position, and it is, it is hilarious. See, now, if you really want to fuck with the drivers, get an electric fence, but have it go all the way to the front yard, (laughs) and let the dog out. (laughs) They'll have no idea. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a chaos person. That's why I'm not allowed to have a dog yet. Aww. Yeah, I keep. I, I don't think I can have a dog in my apartment. I've sort of tried to talk to. I've talked to my landlord a little bit about it, um, but you know, it, it's. I, I I also understand why you know he does not want to have you know a, a pet in the building. But like, I yeah, I, I have I have plants, and I'm well. I sort of had this like, if I could keep the plants alive, then maybe I can start thinking about about pets. And I, I've actually been well. I've been mostly good at keeping certain plants alive, but I also have killed two plants in just horrific, horrific fashion. And I feel I still feel terrible, even though it's been several years. <laughs> Don't um, you like that plants have become the new pets and pets have become the new children? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And children are just for the rich. I've yeah. graduated to children. I have a cat. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. She's alive, I think. I haven't checked on her today. <laughs> Aw. 
She comes out if I'm like doing music time. That's like when I just like listen to music and jam out in the living room. She'll come out and I don't know, try to dance with me or fuck with me. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe she's trying to trip me up. I'm not sure. She. It's not like she could tell me what she's doing. (laughs) I I feel very, I very mixed feelings for the most part about uh, you know social media algorithms. But the one, the one thing that I do love about social media algorithms is every once in a while Instagram will just give me like four different friends cats all in a row and that I'm just like yes that is the algorithm using its power for good uh, <laughs> the, the rest of the time it's just like eh. but it's like alright that cat is cute that cat is cute that cat is cute that cat is really cute awesome or just spend a weekend in Istanbul and you'll see more cats than you've <laughs> ever seen in your life oh man I still need to watch the documentary about the the street cats in Istanbul. I've heard it's great. It's good, but it's nothing compared to like what it is in real life. I watched the documentary and then I went and I was like actually overwhelmed. I was like, "Holy shit, they're everywhere." <laughs> do, do they try to like you know? Is it something where like you'll open up your suitcase on the way back and there's just a cat who's just like, "Hey, guess what?" That's basically, I remember I actually got breakfast once and then suddenly like I went to the bathroom, I came back and there was a cat on my chair. <laughs> and I had no idea what to do with this shit, so I just took another chair because the owner, like, I, it's totally an understood thing in Turkey. The cats come first. <laughs> like that's amazing. It's a little insulting at times, but for the most part, fun. <laughs> the understanding is that the cats behave, but as long as you treat them like gods. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I can, I can totally, totally. I, uh, I have, my, my folks used to have a cat, and they have, the cat has since passed away, and the cat was, was a very, was a particularly lovable cat, and so they have not, they have not sought a, a, a successor, but, um, it was the sweetest cat, although it hated being picked up, and it was, like, the one thing, so it was like, I want to pick you up and cuddle you, and the cat would be like, nope, if you do not, I am going to, I am going to urinate on you if you do not, if you do not put me down right now. And so I would, I would put the cat down, yeah, inevitably. See, I feel like cats tend to imprint on one human, and that's the one that they like better. But even still, mine's like a rabble rouser, and I have to yell at her all the time. Like, for some reason, she's obsessed with my record player, and she keeps trying to sit on it. <laughs> that sounds like a very, a very cat thing to do. Uh, I, I enjoy friends of mine with cats <coughs> who also watch soccer, I will occasionally see like fr- friends of mine who have who have a cat. They've sent me photos of like they'll be watching. It'll be like a you know weekend morning, and they'll turn on the soccer game, and the cat will just be like frantically watching the people, and occasionally like batting at the tiny people on the screen, trying to kind of scoop them up and, and assumably devour them. Uh, yeah, my cat does that when I turn on the Nature Channel. I do that if I'm traveling. <laughs> I'll come home, and she'll be trying to like hit the bird on the screen. Oh. And every bit of me just wants to be like, how does she know? How does she know what that is? How does she know to do that? Yeah. But yeah, cats are definitely the best, like, apartment animal, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I... It, it was funny, a couple of years ago, friends of mine... <clears throat> well, at the time, they had... They had they're, they're sadly down to one cat now, but they, they had two cats, and they had just had their, their, first, their first child. And it was funny because... When I went over there, their cats were immediately just like, "Oh, hey, there's Toby. He's not a parent. He will still 
he will still rub our bellies, and they just, like, both just, like, not attacked me, but I was just, like, had two cats of both stand next to me, just, like, purring the loudest I had ever hear, heard, hear either cat purring, and just, like, hi, hi, we're cats, we're cats, you should pet us right now, you should pet, pet us right now, please, pet us right now, thank you, forever, thanks, okay, good, okay, good. Ooh, if that was a hard thing, then don't go to Istanbul. I take that back. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I was pretty into it. I was just like, all right, and, and there, were, and I definitely feel like both with cats and dogs, like the the rubbing the the rubbing the belly is just like, oh yeah, I feel my stress is just ebbing away, and uh, so I think if I went to, if I went to Istanbul, I might just be like, I think I'm just gonna move here and just hang out and be blissed out and pet cats. They legit just, like, are everywhere. I was checking out the ruins in Greece and, like, go up to, like, the Parthenon and everything. There are just cats just chilling there. Amazing. I know. Like, I was actually doing, like, recordings of my most, like, recent book that I made. And, like, there are cats. I had to, like, stop and be like, shit, cat, go away. I don't know you. (laughs) I'm trying to do a recording, man. (laughs) Years ago, friends of mine were trying to sort of they were trying to, not even trying to convince me to get a cat, but it was literally, we walked up to like a, like a a fenced off space in Brooklyn where there was a feral cat colony. And like, one of my friends was like, if one of these cats, you know, comes up to you and likes you, this is, we're we're going to make you take it home. Uh, And I was just like, "Uh, I don't know how I feel about this, but these cats are pretty cute. And all of the cats were just like, had no interest in me whatsoever. They were Aww. like, nah. And I was just like, well, guess guess it's not meant to be. For I, some I was reason, kinda... they're, like, attracted to me. I've gone to concerts and shit, like music festivals, and, like, I've suddenly found cats next to me. Like, where did you even come from? <laughs> it's amazing. I'll be, like, walking out just seeing Sleater Kinney being like, that was a hell of a show, then feels like <laughs> brush up against my leg. <laughs> and the cat's like, I wish they played more from the woods. I know, like, oh, they just, why do they always have to play Modern Girl? <laughs> What's with this new album, Human? Not a fan. Can you believe they lost their drummer? I don't blame her. <laughs> oh, man. Amazing. I think Cats would be, like, the best music reviewers ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, they would not hold back. They'd be bitchy as hell. <laughs> Absolutely. It would be the same for books, though, too, because they'd be like, I was with this person the entire time they're writing it. I watched them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that would be... Well, I mean, actually, I used to <coughs> cat sit for a friend of mine, uh, another cat who has sadly who sadly left the world, but I was... And I was actually... It was a friend I was staying with when I was writing Parts of Real, uh who was living in Oregon at the time, and she had warned me, don't leave your laptop open around the cat. And I was, and I, and I mostly listened, but there was one day I didn't, and when I went back, I got back, and there was just cat right on top of, like, seated perfectly on the keyboard, just like, oh, hi, were you using this? No, you should not be writing. You should be petting me. Oh, and I was just like, well... It, even if you are writing, they'll just go oh, right over you. Yeah. But but this was especially just like it was just like oh no sorry you're done you're done writing for the day cat uh, yeah don't they're don't. little douchebags 
They're so cute. I was going to say, like, I, I say it to my cat, then I'll cuddle her. I'll be like, oh, you little douchebag, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's so bad. I Everyone will know I love my cat because I post pictures of her all the time. But I'll be like, what up, shithead, get over here. And she responds to it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I obviously say that enough where she's like, oh, that's one of my names. <laughs> the main one is Starbuck, but the other one is Kitty Cat, Buck Buck, <laughs> Badass. Aww. We say it with love. Absolutely. I mean, you Absolutely. know, she would say just as equally insulting things. <laughs> That's just the household yeah. we're in. I'm just so excited, though, by the way, that you actually um, are into Sleater Kenny enough to actually know Into the Woods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a, I had a hilarious... I haven't seen them. I saw them on their... I don't think I ever saw them when they were first around pre-hiatus. And I saw them on their first post-hiatus tour... Uh, but I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them since, uh, and I should probably remedy that. Uh, but honestly, okay. So it's really weird when I saw them. I've seen them a few times. I've actually seen Carrie Brownstein a few times because I also saw her when she was doing her own thing, oh, Wild nice. Flag. She yeah, was yeah, doing like a free show at Wicker Park Fest. That's the hipster area of Chicago, the equivalent to Brooklyn. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been around Wicker Park a little bit. Yeah. So, like, I saw, was it No Cities to Love? I saw them do that one. Yeah. I'm not a fan. They were at Riot Fest. That's the time when the cat rubbed up against my leg. Amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mark my concerts based off of cat interactions. <laughs> but then the next show they did, The Center Won't Hold, and that's when uh, the drummer left. And yeah. You could tell that they just stylistically had no idea what to do. Mm. Yeah, it, there, there was something. It's like I understand that the two of them were, you know, the the two founders of the band. But but there was still there was one interview where it seemed like they were sort of minimizing the contributions of Janet Weiss to the group. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I think this is something where the three of you were a fantastic trio. And it's like, and I get that stuff. The dynamics in bands change and, and everything else. But it was still a little bit, it was still just a little like surprising just because I felt like that trio was just gonna keep doing stuff, you know. Especially given that like she was, if memory serves, she was also in Wild Flag, so it's like there yeah. was there was also that. Uh, I'm, I will say I'm a little bit bummed that I never got to see, I never got to see Wild Flag, although I did once uh, hear them play because. Friends of mine were having an engagement party at a bar in Brooklyn, and it was next door to a venue where Wild Flag was playing, so you could hear them sound check, and I was like, man, this is really good. And it's like, I, I like Slater Kinney, and I like all of Mary Timoney's stuff. I saw X-Hex a couple of years ago, and they were really good, and I was like, yes, I would have liked to have seen this, you know. See, I would have been that asshole friend who'd be, like, dipping in and out. <laughs> I did that at my brother's wedding, so. <laughs> like, he was getting married. The Cubs were going to the World Series. I was like, I'm just going to go to the bar really quickly because I know you're a White Sox fan. <laughs> Don't mind me. You won't miss me at all. <laughs> if you're saying Carrie Brownstein was across the way, I'd go there. <laughs> I 
to be like, I'm sorry, I love you, I love her more. There was there was a moment uh, many years ago where I was at I was at the like National Book Foundation's five under thirty five and she was doing something there and I remember I just like glanced over and I was like holy shit I am standing five feet away from Carrie Brownstein uh, which was not dissimilar to the time I was at a I was at a show in DC and I was like and I looked and I was standing five feet away from Ian Mackay and it was the same sort of like holy shit holy shit holy shit. Uh, this is someone who has made life-changing music, uh, and they are just right here. Uh, and I kind of want to go and fanboy out, but I should also, under no circumstances, do that. I love that you said that Carrie Brownstein was just doing something. Like, she could just be legit be doing anything, I believe you. Setting a guitar on fire, doing shots off Fred Armisen, I don't know. I don't think even she knows, and that's what I love about her. She's just awesome. It, it was, I remember one day, well, well, I remember where I tur- I was watching something and I was like, oh, Carrie Brownstein does, uh, is doing an Amex commercial. And I was like, that's a little strange. But then it was, but it got stranger because I was like, oh, there are countless people who are just like, oh yeah, she's the, she's, she's one of the people who does Portlandia and like, you know, have no, you know, could theoretically have no knowledge whatsoever and just be like, wait, she's also in, she also makes music. Um, and that it's like, and then that made me feel really, really weird and like, not necessarily in a bad way, but just like, oh, right. There is this, you know, I've always thought of her stuff in context of that, uh, as opposed to, you know, but I also think about almost everything in the context of how does this relate to punk rock? Uh, I mean, if you want to go to the theoretical level at that last concert, even Carrie Brownstein, uh, made a comment that she had no idea that there were so many young fans. So Yeah. Yeah, that, that's where they be. But, no, I was always a fan of Sleater Kinney. I was psyched when Portlandia came. Luckily, that's what brought Sleater Kinney back. I predict that's what it did. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because I, I, did, I thought it was kind of interesting that, like, I feel like Sleater Kinney and Godspeed You Black Emperor and Fugazi all kind of went quote-unquote on hiatus at a, roughly the same time, and I thought it was also interesting that, like, Slater Kitty and Godspeedy Black Emperor both came back. Um, and I'm, I mean, and, and, and I feel like the members of Fugazi have always said, like, we're not broken up, like, we, we could always do another album, and I'm also, but I'm also happy that they have not gotten back together and made, like, a really bad album. Oh, uh, God, that'd the be other. terrible. Yeah. I would say so. all three of those bands, they all kind of broke up like right when corporate rock was getting really big. Yeah. So probably <clears throat> didn't want to be in that scene. It's Yeah, it's such a weird... It's a very weird, like... Yeah, it's a very weird moment. Uh, and it kind of, kind of still is. Uh, but yeah. At least now I think music is a little bit more democratic. I can't figure out the word democratized. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> like because of Spotify. I know Spotify has made a lot of missteps, but it's made things easier. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's yeah, I mean it's to kind of to kind of loop things back into the book. I mean I I remember that period where you could you know, there were certain records or certain bands where it's like you would have no idea what this what 
this sounded like. And you just kind of either had to like take it on recommendation or, you know, order something, you know, mail order something and, and just kind of, you know, hope for the best. And it is very, very rare. I can't think of the last time. There, there have still been a few times where I have bought something, you know, without hearing a, a second of it just out of curiosity, but that has been a conscious decision as opposed to, like, out of necessity, where it's like, well, so-and-so told me this record was fantastic, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna order it. It's like, I know, you know, either through Spotify, or if someone's on Bandcamp, or just someone's uploaded something to YouTube, it's like, I could find out what this sounds like, and like, you know, and listen to it, and, uh, and go that route. Um, and I think overall... You're saying I think the guy good. who wrote ex-members never just, like, rolls the dice when he goes to a record store? Oh, I roll the dice all the time. But, I mean, but like I said, it's a conscious thing. It's not like a, I have no other choice. Like, I roll the dice all the time, uh, and, I, and I enjoy doing that. But, although, it's also, I could, I could, go, I could do a sidebar here on, on one thing that I find a little, I think I'd maybe do it a little less, but that's, well... I do it a little bit less because I still I am I am I still buy a lot of I, I still enjoy the the compact disc format as well as the long playing uh, record format. Mm-hmm. But given that almost all record stores near me are pretty much like new and used vinyl, it is a lot easier for me to say I'm going to roll the dice on a fifteen dollar CD or like if I'm on Bandcamp like an $8 digital album than it would be of, like, this is a $32, you know, 180-gram vinyl. And it's like, eh, that's that's feeling a little bit more like a risk. Like, and if this that's was... That's a Vegas-style gamble. Yeah. Like, and there have been a few, like, there was something that I picked up a couple of, a couple of months ago at my local record store in Brooklyn that was, like, um, I'm blanking, I'm not blanking on the name of the band, but it was, like, a a John Zorn and Bill Laswell noise project. And I was like, well, I like the musicians involved with this. I feel like this is a little bit of a dice roll, but it's not that much of a dice roll because I know the people involved. But yeah, there are times where I, you know, the the sort of embrace of, of vinyl for, for, so many, for so many stores is, uh, you know, it's like I was in... I was in just within the UK recently, and like it, it was nice. Like I went to the the record label Honest John's has like a little record store, uh, and I went there, and it was like, all right, cool. There's like a bunch of like random like dub collections here on CD, and it's like I feel very comfortable rolling the dice on this because this is like ten pounds, and. Because it's on CD, I also know that I will get a digital version with it. Whereas, you know, I don't know. I mean, I yeah. But that's also just how my brain works. I mean, one of the reasons I haven't gone gotten super super into Spotify is I think I like to have some kind of restrictions on not restrictions on what I listen to, but I think the idea of like, hey, you want to listen to anything that's been recorded in the last fifty years? It's like. That I think I would just like be paralyzed with indecision. So I think like having a a finite amount of things that are like this is my collection 
makes makes things a lot easier for me. Would it make your like brain go on overload or something? It absolutely would. Uh, so the cover for X members is a cassette tape. Do you ever listen to those anyway? I I have I have a cassette player, and there have been a couple of things that I've uh, that I, you know that I that I've bought on cassette. Um, so yeah, I do I do every once in a while. Uh, I have I think most recently yeah I actually bought something. I will say I mean although the last thing that I bought on cassette was actually something that was only literally was only available on cassette like there was no you know LP or CD or digital option it was literally like do do you want this your your option is cassette and nothing else and I was like all right then I guess I'm going to get it on cassette um so how do you feel about the new cassette I don't know revolution I would call it cuz anytime you go to like urban outfitters I go there sometimes cuz you know I have nieces and shit they want to be cool but like there are cassettes everywhere now, where there used to be the records and everything. I'm I I don't know. Like there there have been a few times where I've seen stuff on cassette, and because it's not like the sounds any better. Yeah, yeah. That's like I do sometimes wonder. Yeah, it's, it strikes me as a little bit weird. Like, again, like, there have been things I've bought on cassette in some cases because it's been the only format available, and in some cases because, like, it was something where the format, it, the format, you know, I wanted to get a physical copy of something, but it also came with a download. Um, but it's not like an LP where it's like, this is a, you know, this is a truly beautiful example of music packaging. Um, I mean, a lot of the CDs that I have, or a lot of the cassettes I have are, like, the compilation tapes that, like, Mississippi Records puts together just because it's like, all right, yeah, I'll listen to, like, a bunch of random songs that presumably someone at Mississippi Records just, like, was like, yes, this will this will work together as a, as a compilation of, of odd stuff. And, like, in some cases I will, you know, find something that I really like from there and, and do a, you know, a bigger uh, search for that. But... But yeah, I don't, I don't honestly know because I mean, it also, the other thing that strikes me as a little strange is like, I don't know how many cassette players there are out there. Like I, you know, and, and so I'm not sure if it's a case of just, but again, yeah, yeah, like I don't know too many people who have like a cassette as like a beautiful object that they can use as like a, as, as sort of an art piece or a piece of, of decor. I've seen that they've been um, at Urban Outfitters and on Amazon. They have been very... um, Think of, like, what Taylor Swift would make. (laughs) If she were to design a cassette player, (laughs) that's what they look like these days. Yeah. Very pastel. Oh, man. Yeah, it's... They're very cute. It's it's fascinating to me. It's also like I mean I remember. Did I see that it was like Jack White was recently sort of haranguing major labels to be like you should really launch your own production facilities because like things like Taylor Swift and Adele Records were causing backups at like every other pressing plant in the world. Which you know again it's it's cool people you know are buying vinyl and like I. You know, but it's yeah. It does seem like there's something like the 
the production, the whole production thing just gets a little, a little head spinning at times. Definitely. So I think those of us who are, let's just make an age range, 25 and older, could definitely understand that the cassette tape on the cover is likely a demo. <laughs> I, I don't think, unless people like actually start reading, they'll be like, oh, okay, right. So I took that vibe immediately. But if it were a mixtape, I think they're more likely to know what that is. What, yeah. What kind of music do you think would be on it? I mean, I think in the context of this novel, something with a lot of guitars and a lot of drums. Uh, and I would say, because it's a demo tape and it's a punk band's demo tape in, in say, the 90s, the drums are probably not recorded very well or not mixed very well. Um, because, um, but yeah. I would I, love I can, to see what a recording studio setup was like then for cheap bands. I mean, I can remember, like talking to friends who were who were in bands who I think like there were sort of <laughs> like the 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 sort of threshold to cross was like oh we're, we're actually working with a recording engineer who like knows how to record drums now uh, and and you know there would be there was like this this moment of happiness where it's like oh okay cool like this is gonna actually you're going to actually be able to hear the rhythm section as opposed to just not hear the rhythm section see i've only been to um one recording studio but it was really fancy so i know it's nothing like the people in this book would be recording it it's funny i had uh, a friend of mine friend of a friend of mine's old studio like his old studio which then you know i later saw it in a, in a different context but at the time it was sort of it was in a <clears throat> in a home in suburban new jersey and it was very nice and it was like recorded some some records that that were in our you know favorites of mine but i also i developed this massive this massive phobia that i had for about five years where whenever i was over there and i would see all of this like gleaming recording equipment and his mixing console and everything i would be terrified that i was going to get a nosebleed and just start like gushing blood all over everything and you seen a therapist over this (laughs) I mean, I've seen a, I've seen a therapist, but but this, this was pre- that issue yet. <laughs> I mean, it, it mostly went away. Although it's still like whenever I'm around really really nice equipment, there's still this like, what if? And I think eventually it's well, it's actually gone by the wayside. But part of this is that like I have now just started to have actual nosebleeds on occasion, and it happens under completely different contexts. So I'm just like, all right, this is not. It's generally just like when it's a when it's like a really dry, cold winter night and the heat is on. Then like I will wake up and I have a nosebleed. It's like oh, okay, that's what's going to happen. This this recording studio has a very nice level of like it's not overly dry, so I'm not going to have a you know I'm not going to get a massive nosebleed in here and just like comically start shooting blood everywhere in this room. Uh, this podcast is, is brought to you by humidifiers. Toby needs one. <laughs> I actually, I actually have a little, a tiny little desktop humidifier that I that that definitely gets brought out from like late November to like early March. Yeah, I have one by my bed, and I also have one in the main room. I have the same issue, sinus issues like crazy. Yeah, just like that first night that I like woke up and was like, "Why is there?" Oh shit! <laughs> uh, 
I, I guess this is a thing now. Growing older is awesome. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's probably not the worst thing to wake up to when you're older. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah definitely. Definitely. I mean, I remember I woke up once and, like, I don't know, something was fucked up with my jaw and I could not move it, like, in the right way for, like, two straight days. Oh, God. That's what happens when you hit 30, I guess. Yeah, oh, man. I had. I will sometimes wake up with, like, you know, the, the random, like, oh, my leg has just decided to cramp up uh, is, is, always, is always fun. And that's, I mean, that's actually been just completely at random... Since I was, uh, since I was probably in my twenties, uh, during during the pandemic, I briefly got into sleepwalking. Um, That's a fun I was, mixed bag. I was I was at my par- I was at my parents' place, uh, and I just remember like I. I'm happy you I, had adult supervision. <laughs> like it was like four in the morning, and I was just like, and I think I just went to sit down on something was like half kind of in this like trance state <clears throat> and I sat down on nothing and just like <laughs> took out a table made this ter- tremendous noise and I was just like what what is happening my parents both like woke up and were just like are you okay and I'm like I think so I mean How I did think the vehicles so react <laughs> you know I think the vehicles may just have stayed in the bed and they just like nope warm bed we're staying here I was gonna be like you might have traumatized them but I guess not no <laughs> takes more than that something I've learned about spending a lot of time with beagles is beagles love to sleep oh yeah unless there's like some like thing running or moving really quickly then they lose their minds but like if I look directly to my right right now there are there are both asleep on the couch one is asleep on the seat of the couch and one has climbed up on top of the like the cushion and is just you know submerged in it and they are both they are both just completely See, I'm like 90% sure my cat's in her closet. I say her closet because it's basically hers. Yeah. All of our stuff is in there, but she just sleeps on it. So, her closet. <laughs> our our closet when we need our clothes and then we have to do all the <laughs> stuff, get all the cat hair off of it. Oh, no. It doesn't help that all cat people tend to also be the people who wear black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I have a black hoodie, and I was walking around, and I was like, "What's all this?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, this is beagle hair." Yep, yep, that's that's something that I have to. Is there an animal instinct where they're like, "That is exactly what the human doesn't want to let me use. I'm gonna do it." I, I think so. I love I think it. So. <laughs> I think if you do a band, you should name it after one of your beagles or both. What are their names? Uh, these two. Uh, one is Penny. And what is Jack? Oh, come on. You could do some good. Penny Jack. I could. Yeah. Yeah, I really could, couldn't I? You could totally do a really great demo. Would you, would you go and get a fiddle again? I don't know. Maybe, actually. P- Penny Jack would be a good, would be a good, like, you know, noisy punk band with a fiddle, so. Yeah, I was going to say, can you fit a fiddle into a punk band? I think it'd be fascinating. I, I think I think so. Yeah, like actually, there's a there's a band. It's funny. I, I was I was in was in England uh, doing some traveling recently, and I came very close to extending my st- not. I didn't come close to extending my stay, but there was like 
One of one of my favorite records that I picked up in the last couple of years is a is an album by uh, a band called Slum of Legs, mm-hmm. and they were playing I think like their first show since the pandemic started, somewhere in the middle of England, and I was like, uh, if I if it was a little easier to get to this place, like I would think, you know, I would have thought very seriously. And like, there is there is violin all all over that record. Oh, I uh, love that. You're going to send me links. I will absolutely send you a link. Yeah, I'm just saying though, like Penny Jack would be a great band name there. Definitely. Like all the British people would be like, "You going to see Penny Jack tonight? Fuck yeah!" <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a horrible British accent. I'm not allowed to go there now. <laughs> British might people have, might have heard that and be like, what? What was she trying to do? I, for a while, would do a very bad Scottish accent, and I would get really worried. I, w- I went to Edinburgh a few years ago, and I was getting really worried that just, like, being around Scottish people, I would slip into my terrible fake Scottish accent, and then, like, I just wanted them, and, like, and, 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 like a Scottish person would turn to me like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, sorry. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you're doing it again! See, I love it. I have one friend who studied abroad in Scotland, and if you ever ask them their experiences, bam. That that (laughs) accent just comes right out. Amazing. See, I'm happy I never had that situation, but I mean... I did recently just watch Mayor of Easttown, and suddenly I am really pronouncing things in a Pennsylvanian <laughs> way. <laughs> I'm not saying water as much as I'm saying water. See, the funny thing is, I I also say I say water funny. Um, like my, I have a lot of friends from northeastern Ohio who historically will will give me shit about the way I pronounce the word water. Um, you are very and, close to the Pennsylvanian. Yeah, it's it's the sort of well. Um, are you a, are you a Kroll show watcher? Mm-mm. There's the one of the one of the recurring bits on that is 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 a is a is a show within the show called Pennsylvania, and it's like the various cast members doing terrible faux Pennsylvania accents, <laughs> and it's just like. But that's also not too far from like my weird. It's, I don't know. I don't think of myself as having an accent, and I don't think of Central Jersey as having an accent. Um, I am. I, I don't know if if you follow that. There is occasionally some debate over whether Central Jersey exists or not, um, or whether there's just Jersey. I am very much in the Central Jersey absolutely exists, and it is like one of the handful of hills I will. It is like the probably the least serious hill I will die on. Um, but, like, I feel like there's definitely a North Jersey accent, because when I talk to friends of mine from North Jersey, or, like, I have a lot of cousins in North Jersey, when I hear them talk, I'm just like, yes, you are, you are from the northern part of the state, and I am and I'm not. Uh, but, yeah, like, I don't feel like I have that accent, but... You have the Central Jersey accent. I have the Central Jersey accent. This actually... And I could, I could actually go on... For on a weird tangent about the movie The Wrestler, but I oh, I love that one. Well, so I, I I too like it, but there is something there was something about that 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 something about it that threw me off slightly, which is to say, 
I think Evan Rachel Wood is doing a further Northern Jersey accent in that than her character should be from. But I also realize this is an absolutely bizarre thing to be fixated on because, like, we do not know where her character grew up. But I'm like, I don't think, I don't think your character's supposed to be from Bergen County. I think your character's supposed to be from Middlesex County. And if you're from Middlesex County, I don't think you would talk like that. But it's also like that is super specific, and like I, you know. I, I I should not care that much about what a supporting character in The Wrestler talks. You seem like you'd be the most know. amusing person to watch a movie with. <laughs> well, it's like, I don't pay attention to the fine details. I well, I I think it I think it's honestly like in much the same way that like, you know, if there are certain certain things where like if you watch a movie that was set in New York but not necessarily shot in New York, you will you will notice a lot of like weird inconsistencies, uh, which which was also also happens with with TV shows set in New York. But I, I also feel the same way about stuff set in New Jersey. Like there's I I also can go on a weird tirade about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle because. Because my my other my other weird slightly tinfoil hat theory is that like there is a scene in that where they are much closer. If assuming the that locations of White Castles in the real world um, line up with with locations of White Castles in the fictional universe of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, there is one one of the great tragedies of that movie is that they are like a fifteen minute drive from a White Castle like halfway through the movie and they don't know it and like they would they would have had such an easier time uh getting getting their their white castle they would not have had to like go to princeton or hang glide or do anything else they just would have like been able to pull up to a white castle on route 35 in eaton town and just like you know had uh, had had a very had a very satisfied uh late night meal I've only seen that movie once, and it was under the influence of Four Locos. I know, those days. But I mean, from what I recall, Neil Patrick Harris pops up and shit. I don't think they're going for post-reality at all. And I I believe Christopher Maloney pops up under a lot of makeup uh, Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it's it's definitely not, like, I don't think it's necessarily, but, like, there's a scene where they go to a hospital where, like, uh, Kumar's, I believe, father works, and I believe Ryan Reynolds's character works, and like I think that's like super close to where I grew up. I think that's like the one on Route on Route Thirty Three in uh, near Neptune. And if they're there, they're just like they're so close. You're so close, you guys. But but yeah, I, again, I have spent way too much time thinking about the the geography of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. But I also like kind of. I, I am also secretly proud of the fact that I have spent way too much time thinking about the geography of the castle. Well, I I want to watch it now, now that I'm not going to be drinking Four Locos, so <laughs> I'll actually remember it this time. I, uh, many, many, many years ago, a friend, friend ran a reading series, and the reading series was done in such a... It was called Pythos, because the 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 winner of the readers would would take would take home a a handmade pie uh, from someone who was who was a very talented baker, and essentially all of the people who were competing each of each of the 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 writers 
had to come up with some kind of a like challenge to the the other writers and it could be like write about this or it could be like write your piece under these conditions so like and when i competed in it i had to shotgun and write the first draft uh and I could I could edit it from there, but I like couldn't go too far from what I'd written when under when under uh, under the influence of Four Loco. Um, and something that I learned is that when I write under after having drunk uh, a Four Loco very quickly, I overshare a lot, which is one of the reasons that like this the the article that I or the essay that I wrote has never ever been published anywhere else because it's just like oh yeah no that's <clears throat> that's way 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 too many like random stories of family Christmases. Uh, oh, we all have pieces like that. <laughs> Somewhere at the bottom of a drawer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was this was a strange this was a strange one. Do people uh, still and, drink those? Well, this was this was still like the ori- original formula where that I yeah. think was like I mean, I've seen that they're back, but I and I know that there is some sort of uh change that was made to the recipe but i don't know because i was like having drunk one of these i was like i do not i mean it was like there was a period of time in new york where if you went to like a like a post-punk if you went to see like post-punk bands or indie bands odds were pretty good the bar would be doing a promotion with sparks where like there would be a sparks open bar for like an hour or two but i i was also got to the point where i was like i would rather pay for a drink than have a free Sparks because I do not enjoy Sparks. Um, this is all stuff that takes. If, if I can briefly return us to the, the mid nineties, this was during. I, I flash back to the time when Jolt Cola was ubiquitous, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a friend and I many years ago when we were I think when we were in high school we went to go take the SATs and. We were both pretty tired, and we both drank some some jolt cola. Uh, I had a moderately sized bottle, and he had like a liter bottle, and uh, he was just like, "Yeah," I, he's like, "I didn't stop shaking until like four in the afternoon." Jolted him awake. <laughs> I I'm a little bit bummed that like jolt seems to have gone by the wayside, but I'm also kind of like, "Yeah, that was that that stuff was probably not very healthy." Uh, Most of the stuff that went away went away for good reason. <laughs> it was either yeah. selling horribly or it was really fucking up your body. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But it, some yeah. of the stuff that fucked up your body, it felt good, didn't it? <laughs> I I definitely miss... I mean, it's like I can still drink Red Bull. I can still drink a five-hour... I've, I've drunk five-hour bottles of five-hour energy and while I don't, you know necessarily recommend it like it was the one time I drank it was it was somewhat necessary to do what I needed to do but yeah last time I was in Brooklyn was when I had a five-hour energy shot that was I was trembling by the time I got there yeah oh god yeah like I years ago um it was uh, Jason Diamond and I and uh, and some friends were driving from from New York to Chicago and we did it we we left like after work on I think like a Wednesday or Thursday and just drove through the night and both of us 
he, I drank, I drank, he drank one five-hour energy, I drank two, and then I just, like, when I got to Chicago, I just, like, passed out for about, like, six hours, and slept, slept gloriously. They're, 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 we're gonna go to brunch, and I was like, I'm going to sleep on this couch, because, <laughs> like, my body is, my body was very much indeed, like, what did you do, what have you done, Toby? <laughs> like, you have, this is, you, you have broken me. See, that's what we did, but in reverse. We went to Chicago to New York, full shot, and it was like two of us driving. We didn't realize that the other people we packed in the car were horrible drivers. Oh, no. Yeah, so it was only two of us, and we were just slamming coffee and five-hour energy shots. And we didn't realize, and this is stupidity right there, that's how you know we were young, that in the middle of March it was going to be a snowstorm. Oh, no. Which led to, you know, a fair bit of excitement to it. (laughs) If it was 2020, it would make a lot more sense. Be like, oh, okay, I could see this happening, but not then. (laughs) Oh, man. God. Gotta love the stupid young mistakes we make. (laughs) So before I ask you to do a reading, I have one major ask slash thank you. Of course. I love that you have a character named Mallory. I never yes. come across it in pop culture. <laughs> what 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 made you pick that name? I honestly don't remember other than it just it just seemed right for for that character. Um I will say Mallory was one of the most enjoyable characters to write. Like she was, I think, the character that surprised me the most in this because I, I found that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed writing her in a way that I was not necessarily expecting to, and I think she may be the like. If I was, I usually think when I finished a novel, like I can I have said, I have said my piece for these characters. Like that's that's very much the case for real. That's definitely the case for the book that I wrote after X Members. And I think it's the case for the book I'm working, the novel I'm working on now. And it is mostly with X members. Like I feel pretty, pretty comfortable being like, uh, these, these, these are these are these characters. I have said my piece. But every once in a while, I'm like, it would be really fun to write Mallory again. And like, but I don't know what the context of that would be. Um, but like, give the, her a spinoff. If yeah, if if there is any kind of a spinoff from X members, it will be it will be about her in some context. I'm not sure what, um, but like, but but I I, I I'm thinking about it because almost every time I've seen Mallory in pop culture, we don't exactly get the best characters. So I was <clears> pleased. Is it am I am I misremembering or is is Archer's mother a Mallory as well? Yes, yes, she is. So. Not the greatest, and then also we have in Bird Box, Sandra Bullock is a Mallory. Oh, okay. So I would say that's one of the few wins. I think there's a Mallory in Natural Born Killers as well. Oh yeah, Mickey and Mallory. Yeah. 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 Uh, I have to say, as a as a weird talking talking all things nineties, I was I have been very happy to watch the the Juliet Lewis sort of comeback. I I watched all of Yellow Jackets, and I fucking adored that show. Or season one of that show. I definitely have to get into that. You're the third person I've interviewed who said 
that's a great show. It's it's also actually if, if and it, it kind of jumps back to the the random the random New Jersey thing because it's I mean it's the the characters are the bulk of the characters are a you know soccer team that is graduating high school in 1996 and I graduated from high school in 1995 and so it's very much like oh yeah this is uh, and it's also I think there was an interview with the the two showrunners did with the TV writer Alan Seppenwall who's also a Jersey guy and he was asking them about and like the two showrunners are from like there were they're from the same county that I'm from and I think one of them is from just north of me and one's from just south of me and so there's this like oh my god like yeah this is this is why parts of this seem super familiar although the show I think was shot in Canada so it's like this none of this looks like well the parts of it that look like parts of Jersey look like very weird parts of New Jersey, like parts of New Jersey that are not anywhere near where the show is supposed to be said. Um, but that's also a super minor thing. Hmm. So. What what channel is it? I love how I it's a it's, channel. That's a 90s saying. What streaming service is it? Uh, Showtime, I believe. Okay. I'll, I'll definitely so, check it out. Yeah, it is definite, definitely like worth... It's one of those things where it just does, I, I think, does everything very well as far as, yeah, the the different elements and the different genres and the acting is terrific and the mystery, those sort of long-running mysteries of the show are done really well, um, you know. And it also has, for my mind, the, there is a scene late in that has for my mind like the funniest exchange of dialogue I have seen on television in a very long time uh, but to, I will not say what that is because that would be very spoilery I definitely know what I'm going to do once I'm done with this podcast sweet <laughs> alright so All right. you want to read yeah um can I? You know, I think I'm just going to read the the opening chapter. That seems like a decent a decent thing to do here. And uh, so here we go. This is this is how X members begins. The tower stood tall near the banks of the Delaware. Its simpatico skeleton birthed from the dream of a hotel. The name of the dreamer had been lost to memory, to a failure of public records, to ghosts in the walls with ill intent. It jutted into every westward gaze conducted in the nearby town, forming risible static in views of the setting sun, like the body of some mammoth saint left rotting for penance or remembrance. Glance at it offhand, and it seemed an artifact from some other now. Glance at it offhand, and you might not think of it as the repository of failure and fragmentation, but as something lost and innocuous. But offhand glances rarely came. Even in this half finished state, the tower was a proper landmark now, and had been so for a while. For a few years, the citizens of New Duchess watched as the building came together, first foundation and then structure, and waited for the skeleton to become anything more. They walked and drove past the construction site. Those who made their way up and down the river could see it from there, like the walls of some medieval city that a fool had stacked atop each other, rather than allowing them a proper sprawl. For a few years, the citizens of New Duchess walked and looked up and waited. The process of building never quite seemed to pause, but nonetheless it seemed to stagnate, a scar that never healed. 
The citizens of New Duchess asked questions, and eventually investigations were promised, first at the level of the beleaguered municipal government, and then at the level of the beleaguered county government. The promised investigations had been conducted, the citizens heard one day. The headline was below the fold on a thin local paper, and the follow-ups were relegated further back still. The dedicated few who followed the story read about tax shelters and investors still clinging to the dream of something being built on that spot, being completed on that spot. They dreamt of the summoning of a hotel and of all the bad might bring. They dreamt of a better future. Instead, they got the outline of a hotel that loomed over them, loomed over their town, loomed over the river. Children born with it looming began calling it the Tower because that name seemed more accurate than those brief moments where their parents called it the hotel. It was no hotel. It was nothing yet. It was frozen potential, and so the tower became a point of reference for the daughters and sons of New Duchess, New Jersey, from the middle of the 1970s onwards. Meet me near the tower, the children would say. Fifteen stories tall, a highway nearby, no railroad to be found. Meet me near the tower, or in the woods near the tower, or outside the parking lot beside the tower that had been finished on time, that had come to something that did serve a purpose. There were, of course, periodic campaigns to raise the tower. There were periodic attempts to redevelop it, to kickstart that old broken hotel dream into a new shimmering hotel dream, or an office dream, or a residential dream. Hope never quite died down in some quarters of New Duchess. If some company could be lured there, if some contract could be secured, if that skeleton could be brought to life, if that difficult birthing could be unpaused and turned into something bold and illuminating whole municipal administrations cursed the tower even as they latched themselves to it, seeking greater glory. The tower, as always, was impassive. When the summonings failed, the tower still stood. When the children looked up at it bewildered, the tower still stood. Security guards waited outside of it and looked up and shrugged. The tower still stood. Police made periodic passages past it, seeking defacement or defilement, the tower still stood, when those whose jobs had failed because of it cut their hands and ran them down the sides of concrete, the tower still stood. The children who'd first seen it loom over them conjured their myths about it and grew to adulthood and never quite shook those myths, those legends, the stories of what had gone wrong, of what had stunted the tower, of what had made it inert. The tower still still stood. In 1995, Hurricane Gloria met New Jersey and the tower still stood. In 1991, a nor'easter flooded parts of the town and the tower still stood. And on nights some years later, when thunder crashed and lightning lit up the western sky, a man named Virgil Carey sat on his front porch and let him become half-drenched and looked up at his view of the tower and wondered if it would be so bad if, on one of these nights, sun's storm finally brought the whole fucking thing down. And that's that. That's like a mic drop of a first chapter. <laughs> I, I I was pretty happy with it. No, I loved lie. it. It definitely leads into like a really great mood. So, yeah. Is there yeah. anything else you'd like to plug? Um, social media, websites, Volume One Brooklyn. Obviously, I people mean, yeah. buy this book. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank thank you for uh, thank you for doing this 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 interview. This was a lot of fun. All right, that was Tobias. I hope you enjoyed our very cool discussion about life, the universe, and everything. You can check out Toby's website, TobiasCarroll.com. That's two R's and two L's. Or take a look at his Twitter, at Tobias Carroll, same spelling. 
As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at PodHealing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. If you would like to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every other Saturday. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you.